Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish-tech-news. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the crypto hipster, where I bring you the crypto corner, where I interview founders, thought leaders, entrepreneurs, executives, artists in crypto and blockchain around the world. And today I have an amazing guest. I'm really looking forward to this interview because it's about gaming. Um, I have the head of games at Wax um, Crypto Studios. Michael Rubinelli is my guest. Michael, welcome. Jamil, thank you for having me. That's quite a list of people you interview. I don't know which label applies to me, but I'll take any of them at this point. But uh, no, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome. Probably a combination of executive and artist. <laughs> so, <laughs> Amen. I love that. Okay. Awesome. Uh, so let's kick things off and ask you, first question is this, what is your background? And is it a logical background for what you're doing now? Uh, what is my background? So my background is I am kind of 20, gosh, 20 plus years, 25 plus years in the classic gaming space. Uh, I built games my entire life. And so um, in, in particular, really kind of being interested, kind of personally and professionally interested in in sea changes that come to industries, right? Because I don't want to do the same job forever. I like to be on the leading edge. I like to be a little out of my depths. Um, and so when a friend of mine came to me and said, hey, look, you built some incredible games of your entire career. We're going to build, we want to build incredible games at Wax. Can you lead that charge? I said, I know very little about blockchain gaming today. So yes, I'm in. Nice. That's a good, that's a good way to look at it. Um, <laughs> a lot of people hire crypto natives, which means they never worked a day and they never worked a day in a traditional company in their life. You know, uh, just I've, for that. I've seen that. Yes. For that fresh perspective. Um, so, you know, um, so let's, let's ask you this, um, what is wax and, um, what is blockchain brawlers all about? So wax is a layer one blockchain solution. It's built on the EOSIO standard and, um, it is delegated proof of stake, which I'm sure you're a lot of your audience knows that, but for the ones that don't, there's, there's proof of work and then there's proof of stake and then there's delegated proof of stake and delegated proof of stake is kind of this democratized way of approving kind of, you know, transmissions block by block. And the beauty of delegated proof of stake is because it's democratized and it's not kind of a hashing power exercise, then it's very echo friendly. So the WAX blockchain, uh, we do 20 to 25 million transactions a day, real transactions, real kind of updates to the ledger where a memory, uh, the memory of the blockchain has changed. Like we do that 25 million times a day. Our best day, we did 30 million transactions. Like, holy cow, that must be really kind of bad on the environment. It's not like in totality for 2021, we use, I can't remember the exact amount, but it was the same amount of energy consumed by five Americans over the course of a year. So we're really carbon negative. We have carbon neutral certification. We're the first ever carbon certified neutral blockchain in the world. Um, and that was several years ago. And we continue to get more and more kind of echo friendly. That's what WAX is all about. High transactions, low energy usage. And they said, look, we, our chain and our technology is purpose-built to handle a lot of transactions. You know what needs a lot of transactions? I'm like, what needs a lot of transactions? Gaming. I'm like, great. So let's build games on Wax. And that's what Wax is all about, and that's what we do. 
and then the the uh the blockchain brawlers game so brawlers is our first ever first party title so there's a lot of games actually on wax if you go and look at kind of the top 100 dApps in the uh in the blockchain world in terms of dau in terms of volumes in terms of transaction numbers uh, you know, probably 80 plus percent of them reside on Wax because, again, we are so transaction kind of savvy. But Blockchain Brawlers is our, as a company, saying, OK, look, you know, we want to bring great content to the blockchain. We've looked at, you know, some titles that have maybe come before us. And again, this is a very nascent industry, right? Like really gaming didn't get a, a strong kind of push or come up until kind of October, November of last year. Now everybody's rushing into the space. And that means a lot of non-traditional games means a lot of non-traditional game developers. Uh, in fact, sometimes not even game developers, it's just web, uh, web and DAP developers are trying to say, hey, here's our quote unquote game. We thought, let's come in and create a standard, right? So we like to look at ourselves to explain to people how we position ourselves on our technology. Think of us as like Sony, PlayStation, or Microsoft, Xbox, right? We are the platform. And like, great, why should I buy a PlayStation? Well, like Sony puts out first party content. Oh, cool, this is what our hardware does. We say this is what our technology does. And so blockchain brawlers is kind of the um, the, the epitome of what we think are, is is kind of state of the art or best in class in terms of play to earn gaming today, which um, is highly polished, uh, really uh, great user experience, great user interface tied to some really compelling artwork. We've got a really cool soundtrack. We've got uh, gorgeous brawlers in there that, you know, you come in, you play, you brawl, you earn. And then the things that you earn, you, you possess, and you do with it as you see fit. But it's a wrestling. It's a. It's a. But it's a wrestling game, right? Too, right? It's a wrestling game. It's. It's. I don't want to mislead the audience. It is a currency kind of. You, you brawl. You always win. You get a currency. You get a random chance at a gold NFT drop. There will be very wrestling-like gameplay features going in over the course of the roadmap. If you look at our roadmap over the next year, we're adding things like, you know, cage battles and hell in a cell and tag team and heavyweight championship belts and PVP and all these things. Right now, what you come, you go, oh, this isn't wrestling at all. It actually is wrestling. It's just very shallow in, in that regard. But it's unbelievably compelling for what it does, especially relative to the competition. So we're really pleased with kind of, again, we, we want to raise the bar and, and create a standard of, of execution and usability that we have not observed in uh, the space to date. I asked you about the wrestling because I've been a wrestling fan for 40 years. So that's why I asked you. <laughs> you and me both. I have so many great wrestling stories from my childhood. And really, that's what the genesis of this project was. We were like, oh, we all grew up with, you know, Hulk Hogan and Iron Sheik and Big John Studd and Kamala Ugandan Giant and, you know, Coco Beware and on and on and on. And it's like, this is kind of an homage to Macho Man, Jake the Snake. This is an homage to our childhood in terms of what we loved. And if you look at the brawlers, you can sort of draw the parallels. In fact, we put out a, a skinning program, a swag kit, as we call it. And the first one was called the Neon Freak. That was a tip of the cap to, to Mr. Randy Poffo, a.k.a. the Macho Man. You know, may he rest in peace. We People who love the Macho Man now can have their brawler kind of outfitted and accessorized like the Macho Man was in his heyday, complete with all the neon and the and the kind of the visor, the visor shield, sunglasses, and on and on and on, the head wrap and all that. You know, we love the Macho Man. I love it. <laughs> um, so you said Blockchain Brawlers. Your press release says Blockchain Brawlers is the first game from the Wax Studios, right? Yeah. Um, so how did this initial project launch go? And what are some of the lessons that, you know, new gaming companies can learn from what your success has been? Yeah, look, I, I think the thing that is really, really important, right, is that 
for new gaming companies coming into the space, they have to understand the audience that they're talking to. They just think, oh, we'll build a game, we'll put it on the blockchain, we'll sell some NFTs and we're done, right? Like, no, it's it's a very, the audience is very different from what kind of traditional game developers are used to kind of communicating to and with. And so right now I would say our player base, you know, candidly is mostly gamblers and speculators, right? They love gaming, but boy, do they love to gamble and speculate. Uh, and because they're gamblers and speculators, that means they've been on projects historically. And again, this isn't like a 10 year history. This is like a 10 month history. So it's a very nascent industry, right? A very nascent sort of sector of, of gaming. They've been involved in projects that, you know, where, you know, scams are prevalent. Security concerns are legitimate. Um, you know, rug pulls happen. Um, you've got bad balanced economies. There's a lot of scar tissue that by default, these players have been wired to be very, very, very cautious. And so... And, and the reason why we pay attention to the, the player behavior and mentality is because your game lives and dies with the success of building a community, right? Like that's vital. You have to have a really engaged community that understands what you're doing and they and word of mouth helps you. And so, because again, the price point for these things is typically, it's not free to play, it's more than free to play. And so, Understanding that your audience may be really hurt or banged up coming into your game, there's a lot of distrust. So how do you assuage those fears? And how do you kind of build credibility? And how do you build affinity? And how do you do all those things? Like I would say from a pre-launch standpoint, that's the most important thing you can focus on. It's not all about like, oh, here's our big NFT drop and here's our UA program and here's this. And it's like, no, build community, build credibility, build security, be communicative, be you know present all the time, show that you're listening. Once you build those bridges and your audience starts to trust you, then you will get them on your side. And I think I can say without question, the blockchain brawlers community on Discord and Telegram um, and kind of other social channels is the best gaming community in the world right now. I think it's, you know, I think I would put our community in terms of support, lack of toxicity, uh, communication, uh, you know, you know, theory crafting. I'd put it up against anybody. And that transcends you know just blockchain experiences or blockchain gaming i think it maps across all gaming and we've done that very intentionally with building an audience that we knew where they came from so therefore we we made sure that we messaged and onboarded them with all those things in mind and that's helped us get traction uh, at launch that was absolutely vital you said something very interesting there um <laughs> Sorry, my, my answer is going to be a little bit wordy because there's a lot of action here and there's a lot to say. You ask really interesting questions that, that in deference to you, I owe you a really robust answer. And that's how I'm going to take these topics. No, this is great. Um, this is, and, and, and I don't think of people, I think of gaming as the easy entry, right? Mm. I don't think of it as the banged up people entry. I think <laughs> DeFi and NFT as the banged up people entry, I think gaming yeah. is the easier, softer way. But you said you have all these challenges, security, rug pulls, banged up community. That seems what I'm going through and gone through for five years. So how do you begin to have your audience trust you? I think it's about consistency and clarity and credibility. So first of all, I say, hello, my name is Michael Rubinelli, and this is everything I'm done. You can find me on LinkedIn right here. And you think, oh, that's obvious. It's actually not obvious, right? If you look at, you know, NFT collection creators, if you look at, you know, game companies, if you look at gaming studios or development studios, it's like, you know, located somewhere in the Middle East or located in Sweden, uh, worked at these former companies. But that's about the amount of doxing you're going to get. Like, because people uh, in prom of prominence on a project or in a studio, 
uh, a company gets social engineered all the time. Like I literally had my boss send me a text that says, hey, you know, I need you to do something for me. I'm in a meeting. I can't I can't talk, but I can only text. You know, I need you to do this for me. Meanwhile, I'm chatting with him live, you know, on a Zoom call, but getting a text from somebody saying that's him. My personal cell phone, like like things like that are, are real and they exist. And I understand why people are hesitant, but I think you have to be, you have to be willing to put yourself out there. And so one of the things I did, as I said, this is who I am, this is where I'm from, and this is what I'm doing. And then you have to build credibility through consistency of delivery. So in January, February, March, we put out a calendar. We said kind of every one to three days, this is what we're going to publish. This is what we're going to tell you. And this is where we're going to go. And this is what we're going to do. And then when you hit those marks every single time, like, oh, wow, tons of credibility. They said they're going to publish this. They did it. They told us they're going to answer these questions. They answered them. They told us they're going to host an AMA. They host it. Like just this steady, like we're always there, right? And every time we're there, we're giving. We're either giving it's a giveaway. We're giving information. Um, you, you know, we're giving feedback or, and more importantly, half of, half of great communication is listening. We're listening to them. And so the materials that we put out, the things that we do reflect that we're also listening. And so it's this really super choreographed or curated way of saying, you don't have, to, we'll start with, you don't trust us. And we get that. And that's totally fine. Let us earn your trust. And this is how we're going to earn it through, through credibility, through clarity and through transparency. And once we execute against that, they're like, oh, okay, wow. It was so funny when we shipped our game, we made all these promises. We, we, we told them, this is what you're going to get on day one. And this is what you're not going to get on day one. And we think it's going to be really all these things. And one guy literally was like, I can't believe it. You did everything you said, which to me was just kind of how I live my life. Like I built games for a living and I have a level of expectation of delivery and execution. But for him to say, oh, you did what you said. What a shock. I'm like, is it? It's like, this is just, this is my job. And I'm really good at it, I think. Um, I always try to get better, um, but it was funny that the bar is so low. So like you said, five years of, of kind of suffering through all this pain. I will tell you that gamers have had their gaming NFTs stolen. They've had their tokens cleaned out of their wallets. They've had developers go dark on them for six to eight months, six to eight weeks at a time or worse. They've had developers who are building projects, sell currencies on the side, sell tokens on the side, really kind of line their pockets to the detriment of the in-game economy. Like there's all sorts of just suspicious behavior that builds, you know, th this resentment and this this lack of, you know, lack of, uh, you know, belief and faith in the people kind of leading these things on. And so to come to it, I think that was probably my biggest surprise. I thought, oh, we'll go build a great game and and we'll just tell them how great the game is going to be. And in reality, we're doing a lot of salving of wounds and a lot of triage of of, of kind of the the hurt feelings that exist. And that's totally fine. We. We actually now get that. And a lot of things we do are tailored towards making sure we know our audience. Knowing your audience is, it's everything. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. So let's go with this. So let's talk about the, uh, let's talk about the pay to earn trust or the model through the years, right? Sure. Of course. 1975, you had adventure. After that, you had World of Warcraft. You know, um, you had ebbs and flows within the industry. You had distrust uh, created in the industry over time. Now you're kind of now it's kind of like be re, being revitalized with crypto. How are you doing it differently? How are you doing it better? Uh, why should your community, you know, be involved now in play to earn where it had failed in the past? Did you say in 1975 you had venture? Adventure. The first Adventure? play to earn the first play to earn game was Adventure, um, and then later on uh, came World of Warcraft. Yeah, um, 
I did not have that on my bingo card. I did not think we'd be talking about adventure today, candidly. So good for you. Um, one of my favorite games, by the way, for my for my childhood. It's just tremendous. We could probably do a whole several series of podcasts around kind of classic retro arcade gaming and what it meant to us and how did I used to rig my quarter on a piece of tape with a thread to get as many free plays as I possibly could to my mother's my mother's shame and disgust. But uh, we won't talk about that. Um, yeah, look, I think the thing that is really, really interesting to us is that we know a couple of things, right? We know that history is perfectly consistent with the fact that the leaders in a new business model or a new platform typically are not going to be traditional players, right? So I think that play to earn game gaming uh, maps to kind of 2010 to 2012, that free to play space when no traditional game publishers wanted to kind of, you know, get involved because they didn't understand it. They're like, you're paying millions of dollars in development. You've got no pre-sales. You've got no retail shelf space. You've got no open to buy dollars. Uh, you've got no tension, like, like in the console world, like we had built into our model that, you know, when you sold a cartridge product or a disc-based product, you know, 15% of your audience was going to hate it. And they didn't want to return it because they didn't want to drive back to the store and get to receive. It's just a hassle, right? Like there's that, that is no longer in free to play and 99% of your audience doesn't pay you and they pay you microtransactions. So like, wait a minute, this model actually doesn't work. Like EA said that to me. Uh, you know, Warner Brothers Interactive said that to me, like every big kind of traditional, you know, console publisher, Capcom, they've all said it like, like oh, free to play, no thanks. And they've all sort of come around to it because it needed a North Star. And that North Star was driven by native mobile companies, right? So you look at Zynga, you look at Supercell, you look at Rovio, you look at King. Those are the ones that actually drove real meaningful, you know, tens if not hundreds of billions of dollars in revenue over the last 10 years came from no native mobile companies, not traditional console developers. And so we see the same thing happening here with pay to earn. You know, you see EA come out, you see Microsoft come out, you see all these companies come out and say, well, we're not so sure. And yeah, we know it's, you know, like the neutral, neutral to wait and see is probably the most positive reaction we've gotten from all the big boys. Um, most of the like, nope, our audience hates it. They think it's predatory. They think it's this, they think it's going to wreck the environment. We're, you know, cutting down the rest of the rainforest in Brazil that, you know, like all these things like that are irrational, right? Exist. So like, okay, great. Like we expect that to happen. So who needs to be the leader in the space, like a native blockchain company and wax, you know, Canon should be that company. So, okay, let's, let's just assume that we are competing with not the big boys, but with other native mobile companies or another other native, excuse me, pattern companies. We look what they put out there. You know, everybody's looking for that North star. What is that? What is that paradigm that I can point to? It's not Axie infinity Axie has success, but that's not, I don't think that's repeatable in the way that they've done it. It, it captured lightning in the bottle. I don't think you could build Axie, even though people are trying to. I think you could try to rebuild Axie from the ground up today. They didn't want to have nearly the support of success that exists, uh, that existed, you know, when they had their, you know, their incredible run. Um, I think what we are seeing happen is trends of how play to earn gaming works within traditional gameplay mechanisms, right? First person shooters, MMORPGs. Uh, battle royale style games, MOBAs and the likes. Uh, CCGs are very popular on uh, on blockchain gaming for a reason because like, oh, I get it. I got an NFT. I upgraded or I can trade it or I can sell it. I can craft it. Da, 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 da. Like, we're, we're hearing and seeing a lot more chatter around traditional gaming tropes come into the blockchain space. And so <clears throat> we think that we're going to lead that charge and we're going to contribute to that narrative. We're also going to contribute to the collective intelligence of the gaming community of what works. And so with blockchain brawlers, again, we think we've created this paradigm where other companies can say, oh, this is usability. You know, this is how you 
do usability. This is how you do onboarding. This is how you do monetization. This is how you do NFT sales. And this is how you do things that really, you know, are positively received. And we've done some things that are way different than anybody else did, even like four or five weeks ago that people go, holy cow, they're sitting up and they're taking notice. Like Wax did this right. We're going to learn from Wax and we're going to go forward. We always want to be thought leaders. We want to sell through education, not sell through selling, if that makes any sense. It does. And you're the second person in a row who said that key word to me that I've been saying for five years and heard no one talk about, and that's usability. Yeah. Um, and you said the word mechanism a little mm -hmm. earlier. Mm -hmm. So as these games evolve and as you have more competitors in a space, because I know it's highly competitive, mm -hmm. um, how important is it being able to be agile and how do you, how do you be able to create agility into your gaming, into your model, so that you can you can pivot and move as you need to as the industry uh undergoes continued rapid velocity yeah it's a great question right and i i think as 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 mobile developers you, the thing you learn really quickly is you cannot be super married to your roadmap right like i have a saying with myself strong opinions but weakly held right like i know exactly what i'm doing today but if somebody has a better idea i may say okay we won't do that today we'll do this today instead so when i put out a roadmap for the next 12 months of our game, as an example, I said, look, I'm going to heavily caveat this. Like some things may change. Some things may get moved up. Some things get may get moved out because you can't be so wedded to an idea that if the player base shifts and the, and the sentiment shifts or the kind of what is super appealing in the space, you know, becomes availed to you, then you, you quickly follow that. And so, you know, development needs to be agile and sprint based. You don't want to walk from a waterfall, big milestone planning standpoint. You have to have kind of multidiscipline team members that can, you know, do a lot of different things. So having a lot of full stack engineers, having a lot of really kind of consumer kind of centric UI UX folks that can kind of pivot on a dime. Like that's all very, very, very valuable. And um, the, but the key to all this, right, is reporting. Like you absolutely have to have really in-depth reporting to understand what people are doing. I will tell you my, and, and, and this is so now part of who I am and how I see the world. When I first joined a company called Playdom back in 2010, like I had come from EA and Capcom and Midway, and I made all these games or about, you know, ripping people's heart out and showing it to them while it's still beating and then crushing it. Or, you know, sports games where I'm, you know, winning, you know, national and global championships. And like, I was like, that's, I, those are games I played, those games I loved. And so I knew kind of developers, features, you know, marketing. I knew everything about that. And then it played and they're like, hey, congrats. You've got a 400-person studio working for you. And we're all making games for women in Centerville, Ohio, over the age of 45. And I'm like, what? Like, I didn't have my personal instincts, my, my, my taste, right? I didn't have that to fall back on, right? Like Facebook games at that time, you know, it was all about, you know, uh, you know Farmville and, and the likes. It was a very different audience. And so there was a, about a, a minute in time where I was absolutely terrified. I'm like, I'm going to fail. I'm going to get fired. This job that I really wanted with a, people that are so unbelievably smart. But then you learn really quickly that, look, if you have really kind of in-depth reporting and you can, you can understand an audience behaviors and the health of your product and how they relate with one another, you actually, it so emboldens you, right? You can develop things, you can put it in the market, you can get a signal that's clear and that's largely clean as long as you, you, there's not noise in the signal. You can get a clear understanding of what your audience likes to do and how often they like to do it and what you should stop doing versus what you should double down on also becomes very clear. And so, you know, as long as you have that reporting at your 
disposal. It actually doesn't matter like, oh, this guy's great because he's a great FPS player. So therefore he's going to build a great FPS game. Maybe, but maybe not, right? What you need to understand is, is the group building this. So they're very much tuned in to what the community wants to do. And, so, and, and you, by the way, you don't always have to be reactive. Like you want to be proactive, right? You want to put a, a feature out there or a change out there that you think is positive and get a signal. You know, Steve Jobs has this great quote where he's like, we start at the customer, we work backwards to the technology, right? We're the same way. Like we think about the customer's needs and sometimes that's data informed and sometimes that's or, or anecdotal, right? Like, I bet you the customer would like to do this or I know the customer likes to do this and you build both and you get a signal and then you, and then you refine that. So it's a mix of kind of reactive and proactive, but as long as you have the reporting and you have a perspective and it comes from a place of kind of, you know, pedigree, which I think I, I have and the team has, uh, more often than not, you're going to move the art form forward. And again, I think the, the, the final, final, final point on all that is, you know, what do we believe? And we believe, because again, it's all about believe, aligning your beliefs with the beliefs of, of the people you're trying to speak to. And so, you know, uh, I think famously companies like Apple and Nike do a great job of aligning their beliefs. Like Nike doesn't sell what you buy. Then they'll say, hey, come get our shoes or make you run faster and jump higher. You know, Nike sells, you know, be like Mike and Bo knows and just do it. They sell, they sell the why. Apple very much sells the why. We want to always talk to our customers about why do we exist and we think that having a cause greater than ourselves is the, is the most meaningful work you can do. And so one of the things we really want to push is this player to player economy. Like that is the most important thing in the world right now for gaming. Like this zero sum game of I bought something, I played World of Warcraft for, and again, I did, I played World of Warcraft for seven years. And what did I have when I quit? Absolutely nothing to show for it other than seven years of memories, which most of them have faded by now. Now what we're saying is, look, seven years engagement in a product, you've got way more than seven years worth of your time sunk. You've got monetizable events, right? Things you've done, whether you've given things away, which fuels the social good, whether you sold things, which, you know, allows you to, you know, be compensated for your time. Like that is coming to gaming. Blockchain gaming is going to lead that charge. That's the sea change. And that's what we're going to push. And that's what we are all about is making sure that the player's time and engagement are monetizable, uh, whether it's kind of through, you know, again, social good or it's actual kind of, you know, fiat currencies and cryptocurrencies. That's what we're all about. And building a great game around that and having that being part of the consideration going forward, I think a game three years from now won't come out that won't have that in there. And if we can be the thought leaders there and we can blaze those trails, then that's what we're going to do. Awesome. So I have a follow-up now. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. There's a lot. That was a meaty question. <laughs> It's you're, you're not going to get kind of half-baked, you know, knee-jerk responses from me because there's a lot of thoughtfulness that goes into how do you change the world? It's not a, you know, it's sort of like, hey, what's the meaning of life? You know, you oh, can't just have a sentence or two. I wrote a book on regenerating Generation X using blockchain technology, and a lot of the, my peer group is still stuck in Facebook, um, you know, what it was like to grow up in the 80s. So, you know, I, I hear you, you know. Yeah. Um Community dynamics have shifted dramatically because of COVID, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have those stadiums. Maybe you do somewhere in the world that are getting yeah. blown up anymore. Yeah. You have, but you have gamers, right? Mm -hmm. How is your reporting impacted by, you know, the effect of COVID, and and what what trends are you seeing uh, with the gaming because of it? Well, you know, what's really interesting about kind of a, a global pandemic is that. Well, a bunch of things have happened, but most importantly for kind of, you know, kind of online entertainment, if you will, and I, I'll lump gaming in with streaming services, is they are seeing more bandwidth usage 
than ever. And it is so high and is so off the charts that if you saw a lot of these companies announce their kind of their quarterly results starting kind of March 2020, March in June 2020, like the quarterly ends at the beginning of the pandemic, there was all this safe harbor statements, right? Like our results are incredible. Please do not expect us to be the number going forward. This is so far beyond what we've ever forecasted, even because a lot of companies will do kind of optimistic, expected, pessimistic forecasting. This is so far beyond those expect those optimistic numbers that they literally had to put forth in their safe harbor statement that, you know, please do not, you know, hold us to the standard going forward. You know, we'll operate a profitable business. Da, da, da. So, and Netflix the same way. So if you look at bandwidth consumption and gaming was such a huge winner in that world. And I think the thing that what it has really done is it has made people very, very comfortable communicating via, you know, social channels that they wouldn't have otherwise. Like, look at Zoom. Zoom out of nowhere. Like, you know, what is Skype? What is, you know, what are any of these other voiceover protocols? It's all about it's all about Zoom. It's all about, you know, using Google Meets. It's about using Discord. It's about using Slack. Like, there's all these tools that are bringing us together because we are locked in that make communication much more robust much more, um, uh, you know, kind of compelling and and the ease of use. Again, I think the thing that, that I always push back on with blockchain gaming is ease of use. But the thing that we know is that things that are really easy and convenient to use that look familiar, people will adopt even where there are security concerns. And so, um, you know, that usability standard and that communication kind of, you know, uh, proliferation that has taken place in the pandemic has only been a boon for gaming. And all of us gamers uh, have won just, you know, by, uh, you know, by association uh, with the communities that we're growing up in or we're growing with, I should say. Awesome. That's that's wonderful. Um, yeah. So. Um, let me let me uh, I have one. I have time for one more and I can ask you this. Sure. And I want to. I need to. Um, you your company wants to achieve carbon neutral or you maybe you already are achieving it. Carbon neutrality, right? We're carbon, we're carbon negative by like a wide, like we give, we give two X back what we take out. Like it's really, it's incredible how carbon neutral we carbon negative. We actually are. So blockchain being bad for the environment is a false, um, false nomer. It's a, it, it is, it really is. Look, I, you can go online, you can research all these things. A lot of it's in the spin. I think that delegated, I think that proof of work there's there's some things there that are super wasteful and that are harmful but you can also look at you know credit card transactions like there's like every time you swipe something at a grocery store it it has to make kind of like eight to 12 transactions up and down the chain to a central repository escrow accounts your bank you know like all these things like there's way more kind of carbon emissions tied to you know credit card usage but let's just forget that for a second i will tell you that wax in and of itself is so carbon negative it's actually i don't say that it's good for the environment but we're so sensitive to that subject Every chance we get to educate people about the value of working with WAX, a layer one solution that's delegated proof of stake, like the environmental concerns should not be first and foremost in your mind as to why not work with WAX. In fact, I'll tell you, this is a great story. So we worked with Mattel and Hasbro on two different collections. And we told Mattel, we said, look, there are, you know, with, uh, there are going to be people that are going to, you know, disparage you and saying that NFTs are bad for the world. And this is a mess and this is how you need to get out in front of it. And this is what you need to say. And this is why you need to say it. And this is all truth. It's all kind of third party, you know, kind of vetted and validated. They're like, Wax, we're Mattel. We understand PR. We understand our community. We got this. Not that they're being condescending dismissive. They're sort of like good feedback, you know, which is kind of a sometimes a <laughs> polite way to say, you know, stay in your lane. 
So they put it out there in their community. There's a ton of backlash like, oh, how dare you this and how dare you that? And they had to do a bunch of damage control. We then went to Hasbro uh, around a lot of their collections that they've done on wax. And we said, look, you know, you're again, same thing. You're going to run into this potentially, but here's what you say. And this is why you say it. And this is all true. And here's the certifications. And they led their lead messaging was the only sustainable blockchain in the world that's partnered with Hasbro on this collection and on and on and on. And the community is like, it was a, a total 180. They're like, thank God that Hasbro cares about this concern that I have so dearly that the chain they chose to partner with was the most kind of eco-friendly, eco-aware chain in the world. Like that's so great. And then the finer point on all of this is that we did an announcement with NASCAR. We did a collection with NASCAR tied to NFTs that were tickets to the Daytona 500. We did that, I think back in February. And again, we educate their audience on kind of carbon neutrality or carbon negativity and how NFTs work and what the utility of those NFTs are, because that's the other big part. And if we can get the NASCAR crowd kind of comfortable and happy and kind of pleased with a collection or promotion, then I think we've really won. And they were just like, it was such a huge success for them and for us. See a huge sentiment win, huge collection win, huge everything. And that was kind of the refinement of all these things that we've done from a messaging standpoint through the funnel to get people kind of in a good space. I will not say that blockchaining as it regards to kind of like Bitcoin and Ethereum is all malarkey. I think there's legitimate concerns there, but not where wax is concerned. Wax is, wax is absolutely, if, if, if there's a gold standard, we're the platinum standard, right? Like we're, we are, we shine very, very brightly in this regard. And we encourage people to kind of work with us and have us kind of educate you on a deeper level as to why that is. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Um, so, I want to thank you very much for your time today. This has been an amazing conversation. I really enjoyed speaking with you and, and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to get myself a brawler, I think, um, <laughs> you know, but, but um, yeah. So I do have one final question though. Sure. Um, it's, it's an easy one. It's an easy one. It's hmm. this, hmm. how can people, how can people find out more information about you, about wax, about oh. the brawlers? How can they do any of that? Uh Thank you for that. So we have uh, a, a Discord community that's 33,000 people strong. It's uh, just going to Discord and look up blockchain brawlers. We have a WAX Discord as well. Uh, I say that because there's a lot of information that's pinned there. It's kind of in this nice con concentrated site of lots of blog posts and, and, and things in that regard. But you can go to, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow um, both WAX and blockchain brawlers. Uh, but more importantly, you can go to play.bcbrawlers.com or you can go to bcbrawlers.com, which is a sales site, and play.bcbrawlers.com is the gaming site. So you go to those two sites and you can get all the information on the company and the game that you want. And uh, we'd love to see you in there brawling and crafting and earning and, and contributing to the community and the collective intelligence help make us all smarter and better. And, uh, you know, we'll see in the digital uh, squared circle, as they say. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Jamil. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.